Jez Ladver, and this is the Interim Leader Podcast, brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's leading provider of interim management services. IR35, the UK's anti-avoidance tax legislation, has been heralded as the end of contracting in the UK. Given the lack of clarity from HMRC, it's certainly understandable. However, despite the misunderstanding around IR35, this is far from the end of self-employment and interim management as we know it. The same changes to IR35 legislation that are landing in the private sector this April came into effect three years ago in the public sector. Whilst there was a learning curve involved, there was no meaningful impact on the public sector interim management market. And since then, the demand for interims has also increased. In our experience, those organisations that prepare for it correctly and fairly will enjoy the cream of the crop when it comes to highly skilled, agile talent. In fact, for those that get ahead of the game, we'll find that the legislation can even be business-defining. So today, I'm joined by two highly experienced public sector hiring managers to talk about how private organisations can set up effective processes to manage IR35 and gain access to the best talents in the market. Munira Kachwala, the Head of HR Commissioning at Harrow Council, and Anthony Francis, the HR Contracts Manager at the Royal Borough of Kingston, have both prepared multiple organisations for IR35 and are here to explain how you can do it too. Manira, Anthony, welcome to the Interim Leader. Thank you very much and it's a pleasure to be able to come here and share our expertise with you all. Good to be here, Jess. There was a certain level of anxiety amongst public sector organisations when the IR35 changes came into effect for them three years ago. How did you overcome this and how did you then successfully prepare your organisations for the changes? Anthony, remember, go back three years and uh, all the panic and IR35 coming in That's and right. where, where it sits, whether it sits in HR, payroll, finance, procurement, and all the anxiety we had as to how will the organisation handle it. And also at the time, we thought it was grossly unfair. <laughs> remember that, where it, wasn't, it was coming in only in the public sector, not in the private sector. So... That's the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's coming in. You don't know what HMRC are going to be looking for. Nobody's done it before. So how will we handle such a big challenge? Well, what we found is is, is we had to embrace the change. Um, and you had to accept that if uh, two people are doing exactly the same jobs, then they need to be paying the same amount of tax. It's not particularly fair that one should be paying more than the other. True, but every job is different, so how do we handle that challenge? So yes, there, there was a lot of anxiety, but as we worked our way through it, we were able to overcome it. How did you manage the communications and um, educating hiring managers about what was about to come and managing their anxiety? Well, the first thing and the important thing was for us to understand it ourselves, and it was very unclear. There was lots of last-minute changes from HMRC. The tool came out very late and it was quite hard to comprehend. We uh, attended various HMRC forums so we could get as much knowledge as well. We also created um, project groups with other local authorities and other boroughs to share, inf- to share information and to, to, to ensure that we were, because we were, uh, obviously we compete against each other, so we were following similar processes. And internally, I think, uh, having a slot on the board meetings, taking IR35 as a topic to the board meeting first to to have a, le- a level understanding of what it is, but then what shall we do, f- our next steps, what, what the future should look like and what the processes we should put in place. But that 
it shouldn't stop at just a board level. You need to educate your line managers who are the actual recruiters who are day in day out dealing with the IR35 challenges but also the current interims who are in place because for them this is new as well. They're all unsure whether they're going to be able to continue in the job so there's a lot of knowledge sharing and what it means and what we are not going to do so it's clarifying what steps we are going to take but what steps we are not going to take we're not going to end your assignments we are not going to cut your pay whatever that reassurances from your organization you need to give those reassurances and, and there was a lot of fear so there was a lot of fear from the managers feeling they were actually going to lose their staff and they wouldn't be able to provide a service there was fear from some interims that they're going to lose their job. There was fear for, for us as recruiters that we weren't going to be able to um, obtain the right talent. Mm. So it was a case of um, just trying to overcome that. Clearly it worked very well. Um, what advice would you give to private organisations about how they should prepare for the changes? What steps should they take? I think we keep going back on the process, but it's really important. Mm. You planning out how you're going to deal with it in your organization, what tools you need to be able to deal with it. So if you're going to have a lot of um, documents that you need to store, are you going to use something like SharePoint where you're going to store all your documents? Do you have a document management system that could help you um, go through the process that you need? Did it, did it um, for you guys, did it sit in commissioning? Did it sit in finance? Did the responsibility sit in HR? I think, and what's interesting in, uh, is that while it's a project, everybody pitches in. So it's a project team and um, finance pitches in, uh, procurement pitches in, HR pitches in, and the project is done. There's a deadline, which is April when it goes live. But then it's looking forward and looking ahead, saying this is going to be business as usual. IR35 is not here just as a project at one date and it's not going to go away. So, so you, we need to think a bit ahead and say, how will this turn into business as usual and what processes do you put in place for it to work? Yeah, I'd really recommend that you get senior buying from the chief executives or directors of the business so that all the managers know what process they need to follow. And uh, really, you have to create a set of rules that they need to abide by. Mm. And it's about creating a solid policy. So what we did was we ensured that we had a brief for each uh, assignment. That brief was supplied to the agency. And once the candidate was appointed, the candidate and the manager undertook a project plan. So in that project plan, it was what they were, what, um, uh, what deliverables and how the project would evolve, how they would receive payment for those mm. particular deliverables. Um, and then to accompany that, we had what's called the CES tool, the um, HMRC tool to determine status. We felt confident with those documents um, and what we called the compliance pack if challenged by HM, HMRC, would be ready. Yeah. Remember, it's not black and white, isn't it? There's no one answer to an assessment. And HMRC's tool itself says that it could be inside IR35, it could be outside, or the status un is undecided. So actually, it's how, as you said, having a project plan, what the deliverables are, the milestones that need to be achieved, and what the pay payment mechanism is in there. That's right. Let me explore a slightly different tack. So you've talked about what private organisations should do, but what shouldn't they do? Ignore it. It's coming. Yeah, it's Embrace coming. Embrace it. 
um, and actually try and be the most educated person in the room when it's being discussed. So be ready to provide that guidance, but also be ready to challenge. And sometimes you have to challenge up, which could be mm. difficult. That's the difficulty, isn't it, in your role where you have to challenge senior managers who may be recruiting to that role and who think um, differently to what your assessment has come out as. We weren't very popular, were we? <laughs> yeah. And some people go to, towards the extremely risk-averse risk um, direction where it's like we'll treat everybody equally, we'll be fair, everybody's inside. But that's not the solution, is it, Anthony? No, it's definitely not the uh, approach to take. You will end up um, losing quality talent. Um, and um, talent is short, obviously, of short supply, so you want to be attracting it. But equally, it needs to be done correctly, and you need to follow the process and make sure that you, the, you as a business are HMRC compliant. Yeah, all jobs are not equal, they're very different. So then all jobs cannot be inside IR35 or all jobs can't be outside IR35. It's a combination. So it's actually looking at the individual requirement and seeing um, what's required of the role and how it's going to be delivered. Yeah, I agree. So in terms of, you've clearly uh, encountered some tricky situations here. So what are some of the challenges private organisations are going to face? Specifically, what tricky situations might they have to manage? Or losing talent, mm. um, you know, it's not going to be a popular decision. The uh, consultant potentially is now going to be paying more tax than they paid previously. What challenges did you yeah, find? I mean, the the main challenge is when you talk about the IR thirty five regulation and the status check uh, tests. And we talk about right to substitution, control, mutuality of obligation, and it goes above everybody's head. It's like this is. This is tax language. I don't understand. I'm not a tax expert, but I always use an example of a, a simple photocopy repairing uh, repairer. So when a photocopy repairer comes in, he has a right to substitution. You don't dictate who comes in uh, to do that. He could come in, or he could send somebody else to do it. You don't control how how he or she delivers that work. Um, there's no mutuality of obligation. You are not promising them work. They're not promising they'll come and do it. It's that piece that gets delivered. Um, there's a financial risk shared there because it could take an hour for them to do the work or it could take them a couple of hours to repair the photocopier. There's a fixed price to it. Uh, they're not part of the organization, so they're not attending your team meetings, your Christmas lunches, etc. Uh, and there's no exclusivity to this. Anybody could be given that piece of work. That's right. And also there's the concern that some of the interims are going to want more money. Mm. How do you deal with that? Um, this all goes back to your planning and seeing what what the scale of things are, what roles are there, how much you're paying, what the market rates are, and deciding accordingly. But yes, if you agree anything like that, just be prepared that that, that will have a financial impact on your budgets. I think you have to be firm mm. and you have to uh, convey that you're not going to be putting up the charge rates. Three years in now, so clearly you quite early I think you managed to turn the sort of challenges posed by this into an opportunity and so moving on to attracting talent which you touched on so in terms of attracting talent what is it going to mean for the organizations that get this right is there an opportunity here well there is and I think especially as as a local authority there's a moral, moral obligation that um, people should be paying the appropriate amount of taxation it's quite topical at the moment I think there's, there's, there's 
lots of opportunity putting the HR hat on, which is uh, saying that there, there's a lot of roles which are covered by temporary uh, requirements, not because they're temporary roles, but because it's just convenient. We haven't gone out and recruited and there's, there's somebody who's covering it. So it opens up an opportunity to, to make your permanent roles quite uh, go out, recruit and secure. Uh, it gives people an option as to what they want to work, but also it, it, it taking a step further, looking at job design and saying, are we designing roles in the same box standard fashion or should we be looking at different roles some roles that will be suitable for interim work project mm. work uh, so we need a flexible workforce yeah. really don't we mm. moving forward in the future no, I agree. pretty good um Munira Anthony thank you for coming on the podcast the experience you have and the insights you've offered today are hugely valuable for our audience and I'm sure what you've told us will go a long way to reducing the anxiety and trepidation that many private organizations are experiencing in the lead up to April. So just some final conclusions. Any parting tips for our audience? Yeah, I think it's important, Les, that you obtain the data. You know where the individuals are working within your organisation. That you embrace the change, that it's communicated properly across the business, and you have a solid process that you follow. Um, and, you, and, and you have um, the appropriate documentation to back this process up because at some point you will be asked to evidence it. And it is not just a project that's coming in on, on uh, the 1st of April 2020. It's going to be there now going forward. So it's that continuous process, continuous engagement, continuous educating your managers because as, as a churn happens, new managers come in, they need to know what the ongoing process is for the organization. And data is key, isn't it? Very. It could be hidden through your procurement systems. It could be hidden through your agency data. It could be directly. So looking at all that data and seeing who, who your uh, interims are and where they'll be affected. Yeah. And I think just to close, it's, it's, it's taking responsibility. It's not for the agency to determine status. It's for you as a business to determine the status. Well, look, a huge thank you to you both. Uh, that was uh, really impressive. And um, particularly impressive was the ability that you've turned the challenges post posed by this into an opportunity and managed it so well. So thank you to everyone who's joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do like, subscribe and follow for more insights from our network of consultants, clients and interim managers. Mm-hmm.